0: Hello, TTB community, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint Podcast. Each episode, we like to bring you insight from travel authors, adventurers, conservationists, digital nomads, tour guides, and some of our very own personal travel experiences. Joining me today is the impeccable Robert Domena.
1: Thank you, Elliot Ghibli. Uh, So today's guest is Mark Vandenacker, and he is a tenured pilot and author of a book, Imagine a City. It is out now and available on Amazon. And today in our conversation with him, we covered his experiences flying around the world and how that has influenced a pretty unique uh, perspective on travel and geography. And it was an awesome conversation. Before we get into the podcast, the travel tip of the week is to look out the window. Uh, so as you're flying and if you have the option to look out the window, of course, assuming you're in an aisle seat, uh, check out the city window seat window seat. Did I say aisle seat? You did. <laughs> it's OK. So if you you're, can uh, sometimes if you're, see the window. So if you're in a window seat and have the opportunity to look out the window, glad we clarified that um, and see a city from above. It can be really uh, interesting to sort of look down and then ask yourself some questions and and sort of. I don't know. See how you interpret that. Uh, It's a really fun exercise that I like to do. And um, yeah, maybe maybe it'll work out for you as well. Um, Again, before we get into the conversation, just check out some of the last things that we offer. How do you organize and plan your trip? So if you like to keep your trip organized like we do, you can use the travel journal and planner that we developed for our very own personal travel experiences. This will allow you to record things like the dates, the budget, the top destinations, the currency exchange rate, the time difference. It has a fillable calendar, and it provides you the ability to write out your entire itinerary by the hour. In addition to that, it has a place to store reservation information, a packing list, a to-do list. And then at the very back, it offers you space to journal about your trip. You can find this travel journal planner on our products page. And once you download it, you have it forever and you can reprint and refill it out for every trip you have moving forward. Now, if you do decide to purchase this, we encourage you to reach out to us with any tips to make it better.
0: To help compile all of your info for the journal slash planner, we turned ourselves into cartoons to create a five-part video course that provides a step-by-step process to create the ultimate itinerary, including number one, navigation, number two, booking airfare, Number three, blogs, research, and reviews. Number four, itinerary building. And number five, safety, cultural norms, and thoughtful travel. The goal of this video tutorial is so that you can become your own personal travel agent and learn how to plan efficient trips now and forever. All the while saving you money to splurge on a nice meal or first class seat for your next adventure.
1: Yeah. And now, so if you still think that planning your trip is a little bit too much, or you just don't have time to sit down and actually do it, I can personally plan your trip for you using all the information that we just mentioned. If you're interested in this, please send me an email at the travelers, at gmail.com or visit our service pages on our website. And we can meet over zoom to discuss the details of your trip.
0: You want to contribute to the podcast. If you work in the travel industry, you can join us for a travel around table discussion by submitting your information through the TAT form on our website. You can also send us a travel article via direct message or at the at gmail.com for the monthly travel bites episode. Support us by wearing us go to redbubble.com to find awesome gear and merchandise of the travelers blueprint. Some of the cost comes directly to us to help support the podcast. We definitely recommend the hoodie and the hat and maybe a sticker or travel mug, whether you purchase a product from us, or just want to learn about travel alongside us as we interview our guests know that we greatly Value your support as a listener of the show. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure.
1: Mark, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast.
2: Oh, I'm very happy to be with you guys. It's a, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, you're a pilot and an author. Uh, you've written several books uh about your experiences flying around the world and and the travels that you've done um we're going to talk about one specific book today imagine a city and um so i guess i guess just start off by just telling us briefly like what is what is the book about and what will be what will we be talking about today
2: uh so um my first book skyfaring was really about my experiences as a pilot and it was um You know, it it was about our our life in the air and it wasn't so much focus on um, what happens after we land. Um, And it wasn't a very personal book in a lot of ways. It it was kind of, uh, you know, just just speaking about the job and why I've come to love it. Uh, And this new book, Imagine a City, is...
1: Harry, Mark, really quick. Can I just interject in there? So looking into you, um, I saw an incredible compliment that said the book that you wrote, and I'm sorry, what was the title of the one that your first Uh, book? uh, Skyfaring. Skyfaring yeah. Yeah. was similar to what like Anthony Bourdain did to the kitchen industry with his oh, book. which wow. it's like such an incredible uh compliment. So I, I haven't read it but that's that's amazing oh, to see well, something like that. Uh, yeah. That's
2: that's very uh generous praise. I, I yeah, uh, I um yeah, it's it's always nice when people um you know so many people like flying um whether as you know whether as uh as pilots or as crew or or as you know ordinary ordinary customers um and, you know, flying runs in a lot of families as well, and, and so uh, it's nice to connect with with people on, on different levels and with different backgrounds uh, in aviation. Um, and this, uh, yeah, so Imagine a City, this new book is 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 more about what happens after we land, um, and it, it's also more personal book. So I, I start by talking about uh, the city I came from uh, in Western Massachusetts, uh, which is called Pittsfield. Um, no way! And, yeah, yeah, Pittsfield.
0: Uh, I actually had a, have a very fl- close friend that uh, worked in Pittsfield for many years. He actually lived in Williamstown.
2: Oh wow! Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Um, what, what what kind of work do they do? Uh, interventional radiology. Oh wow! Okay. Well, they were probably at um, the hospital I was born at, uh, Berkshire Medical Center. Um, Most there are many others. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yep. yeah. Pittsfield is a. It's kind of a really fascinating place. It's. um You know, it's like a lot of other kind of small, uh, you know, older New England cities, but it has, you know, in some ways it feels like a very archetypal place like um, the first, uh, the first reference in the US to baseball is from uh, a bylaw. Of the like in Pittsfield, of its like count of its town council, where there was like they were they passed some law saying like stop playing baseball because you're breaking all the windows. Um, and that was you, <laughs> you know, awesome. don't play don't play it on Monday. I don't know what, exactly what the bylaw said, but it it's the first written reference to baseball. So, um, the origins of baseball are kind of obscure. And like I kind of think like, um, if Pittsfield had just said we're the base birthplace of baseball, like they could have gotten away with it, like, absolutely. Yeah, um, and the first intercollegiate baseball game was played there uh, between Amherst and Williams uh, in 1859. And the first agricultural fair—you know—think of that great American tradition of agricultural fairs. The first one was in Pittsfield. Uh, Moby Dick was written there, um, so that great American novel. Um, and yeah, and and Pittsfield um, is at the heart of the Berkshires, which is a, a re- you know a region really well known among travelers. So it's a it's a great place to go, and it was a great place to grow up. But you know, growing up, there are like a lot of kids in small places. I, I wanted to leave and go elsewhere and find my way to bigger cities. Um, and of course, as a pilot, you know, we see cities um, in such an amazing way. We see them from above. You know, you see, you know, you look down on cities. I don't know if you enjoy that experience of looking out of an airplane oh, yeah. window at night and, you know, and, and you see how one city leads to the next or how, you know, you see cities lining a river or an interstate or uh you know you, you in so many cities you see how you know we think of cities as kind of unnatural places or we think of them as like opposed to the natural world you know you often think of city and country or whatever but of course cities are kind of sculpted by the natural world first you know you so often you you fly over a river and you see where it's going to meet another river and then there's a city there and that's Mm -hmm. you know that's um that's pittsburgh and um and calgary and khartoum you know these cities that are kind Mm -hmm. of arose at the junction of two of two cities and and then of course as pilots we land in them and we get to know them again and again um in a really unique way uh and so this book is really talking about you know where i came from the places i've uh i've i've seen as a pilot and also how, uh, your hometown, um, even when you're very far from it, or maybe even, especially when you're very far from it, um, can mean more to you, um, you know, throughout your life than, than you've ever expected it might when you left it. <laughs> yeah. So
0: yeah, that- when you left Pittsfield, I mean, what, what kind of drew you to travel, you think, and pushed you to become a pilot?
2: so i was always um i was always in love with flying ever since i was really little and um i was really um you know i was really interested in in maps and you know i had a globe in my childhood better like a light-up globe like a lot of kids and you know i had a lot ton of model airplanes and you know i um you know and so that was like the kind of the the pull factor, I think and the push factor, I guess you know, like lots of kids in a small place you kind of think of of be, you know being yourself as something that requires you to go somewhere else. you know you need to yeah. you need to move and it's not you know it's definitely not a new story. It's one of the oldest stories out there. Um, but um, that was it was definitely something that that uh, was important to me. And my parents um, had traveled a lot too, especially my dad. so my, my dad was born in Belgium. Um, and then he uh, lived in Africa for several years in the 1950s. And then he lived in Brazil in three or four cities in Brazil um, all throughout the 60s. And then he moved to Boston where he met my mom. Uh, they lived They lived in Burlington, Vermont. And, you know, and uh, my mom had traveled less than my dad, but still she had, you know, sp- it had been a big part of her life. She'd gone to Paris for a year. Um, and, uh, I mean, that was a super interesting trip, uh, for her in a lot of ways. Uh, and for me, it was interesting because she, to know about later, uh, because she went there by boat, which was still the thing to do. What? Yeah. This is wow. like in the sixties as well, but she came back by plane. So like, while she was there, that whole transatlantic, you know, wow. Wow. shift, you know, cause of course it used to be that everyone went, travel those distances by ship and even when the even after planes started they were so those services were so irregular and expensive that ship was still kind of the way to go but I guess while she was in Paris like the the, the pricing shifted and um, that's, yeah that's so amazing she, so when wow. it came time to come back it was like oh of course you'll fly whereas yeah. like a year before I was like of course you'll take the boat
1: what did it take you like four days to get there and then six hours to get you yeah, know, seven probably, hours to get probably out. six or, <laughs> yeah. six
2: or seven days I think yeah. it was, to cross wow. wow. Um wow yeah and you know i cross the ocean like across the atlantic like like every week basically and you know i've never done it by boat uh but uh, i would love i would love to kind of see i would love to do it once you know just to see just to see that world that we fly over all the time and um you know there's uh when i was really I think when I was in college, there was this book called, uh, Ford's Freighter Guide, which maybe still exists because you can actually go on freighters as a regular passenger. Um, and you can like, you can go and, um, like every freighter takes like 10 or 12 passengers. And, uh, it was, I was, I thought, Oh my God, that would be so awesome to do one. Day. I never did it. But, uh, if you have any, any, uh, if you have a lot of time off sometime and you feel like an adventure, uh, that would be kind of you know obviously there's there's cruise ships now but um for something more uh more unusual that's that's all that's always out there i'm sure some of your listeners have uh, have done that or are thinking of it
1: that would be really interesting to hear hear someone's experience yeah. of right
0: so right. there's a there's a term in geography and i can't remember what it is off the top of my head um, but it was developed in like the 60s and i think i want to say it was the janelle model Um, But it basically was that the the world would start to shrink as travel increased or the speed of travel increased, right? So because it took six or seven days to get from the US to Europe via ship, and then it took six hours uh, via plane, now that world is significantly smaller by a factor of like 40. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at the timeline of humanity, the world was immense and like the 7 pre-1700s before uh travel was really and before we had any t- kind of internal combustion before we ha- had anything really that sped up our movement and now the world is you know a fraction of that size i mean we're a global economy where we have uh, everything is connected now
2: yeah yeah in my uh, in my first book skyfaring i had this i i used this term uh place lag which was like, uh, you know, we all know what jet lag is, but I think there's a there's also a kind of place lag we can get where we like step onto a plane in one city and then we like cross the, you know, the entire world. And if if you think like if you think like what it would have taken to go from like London to Singapore, you know, even in the 19th century, you know, you would have been at sea for weeks and weeks um, and you would have seen you probably would have stopped a ton of places or maybe you traveled overland I mean, and then that would have taken months or years. And and you would have seen how like the lands, like one landscape leads to another and how one language changes to another. And um, and now we do it in like the blink of an eye effectively. And I think when you, like I think we're not designed to to really process that kind of change. And so when you're in a, like the kind of things, you know, like your first day in a city, like you might be kind of tired you know, a because of jet lag, but B, I think, just to think like I I still think this. I think more and more, um, even as I as my career goes on, you'd think I would be less astonished by it, but I'm more astonished by it. But the fact that you can be like, you know, like I'll be, you know, I went to my last trip was to Tokyo, and um, I went for coffee uh, after we landed, and it was just like walking down a waterfront in uh, in Yokohama, which is where we, where we stay, and uh, um, and I was thinking like like. 17 hours ago, I was like at Paddington station, like having hot chocolate in London. And now I'm like here and, you know, I'm sort, you know, one of the largest cities that's ever existed. And it's just like an ordinary day here. And less than a day ago, I was in Lo- like, it's crazy, right? It's bananas. It I
0: think that every it, single time where
2: I'm like, I was in, I was in
0: Paris in the morning and now I'm in Hummelstown in the afternoon.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's,
1: I, I travel for work and, and it's, Often, not often, but uh, I don't know, 50% of the time, I travel to a city and then I fly back home on the same day. Oh, two weeks, right. ago, I, two weeks right. ago, I flew to Detroit. Um, so I woke up in Philadelphia, flew to Detroit, and then flew home that afternoon. And I went back to bed in my in my own bed. And I, I was all the way in Detroit. And that sort of boggles my mind, how much geography, how much land I covered in one single day. Um, yeah. And imagine Fascinating. That.
2: Yeah, I mean, almost all previous generations would be astonished by that. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm
1: reading. I'm reading a book, and we're not going to get into it, but just quickly, like I'm reading a book about. It's called. It's about Kangas Khan, and it's called Kangas Khan: The Making of the Modern World. The book is really good for anybody interested in it. But one of the things that to me is fascinating is how much land he covered, and sort of connected everything, um, all these different economies, all these different cultures, but traveling for him on horseback it took a really long time like this was this was a, there was a lot of effort involved in going from china to the middle east and then eventually into europe and he would go back home to like his central location and then you know go on another war yeah, effort yeah. across yeah. whatever new geographic region it took a lot of
2: time yeah <laughs> it it's a lot crazy. of
1: just like trotting on your horse just to get to like you know the beginning of where you wanted to start to conquer And it's, it's, yeah, really interesting.
2: Yeah. I read, um, an article, an article or book or something. I can't remember which, um, and it was talking about, oh yeah, yeah. It was, it was a, a book written by a British diplomat in Japan in the 19th century named Ernest Sato, I think is his name. Um, and he was talking about, so while he was there, basically they were building the telegraph. So, and I think the telegraph got to India. So what would happen, so if you wrote like a, if you wanted to communicate with London, um, it would go and you were in Japan, it would go by ship from Japan to India, which would take months. And then when it got there, it would go like in seconds and telegraph, uh, oh, yeah, by yeah. telegraph. um, and that the way that that kind of communication was built out, um, that, you know, and now of course we're having a zoom call and it's, we don't even yeah. think about it. It could be anywhere. Um, yeah, it's. It's amazing, you know, going to Beijing. Like, yeah, Beijing is like a ten-hour flight from London, um, whereas for, you know, I mean, imagine on horseback, months, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, here now
1: that now that you brought up Beijing, Beijing was founded by the Mongols.
2: Yeah, trivia. <laughs> a I... little, little,
1: little yeah. trivia. Yeah. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's so. Wild.
0: I mean, this may it may be a little bit too early in the morning, but is uh, is travel a misnomer? Because we're not doing travel
2: anymore. How do you mean? You mean like, uh,
0: because to me, travel is like the, the yeah, long was... expedition to get to the place. And then that it's travel was synonymous with journey. And now travel is you are at that place and experiencing it, but you're not actually traveling. You're just at that place.
2: Yeah. That's an interesting way to to frame it. I mean, I think, you know, there's, there was the, and there's that old, um, you know, saying, you know, the journey is the destination. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, on the other hand, we can also go to places and then start our journeys. You know, like a friend of mine yeah. just went to Vietnam, and she was, you know, she flew there on a on an airliner in twelve hours, whatever it was, and then but then she spent like a month, right. Right, going going around by train and you know, not quite horseback, but you know, yeah. all sorts of all sorts of options. Yeah, and it does it does. Um, I mean, but certainly the journey itself, like like the airplane journey is, it does have this like blink of an eye feeling to it, which is, um, which is astonishing. And it's, you know, and this is more about skyfaring than about the new book really, but, um, but I, I think it's important to not lose sight of how amazing that is, like, to be able it to is. do that. Oh, um, yeah. And if you think of like how. Like I don't like 300 years from now, you know, we look back and we think, oh, all well, the printing press changed this, and, you know, and um, the microscopes changed that. And and, you know, we'll look back on the 20th century and we'll think about computers, obviously, but we'll think about flying as well. And if you'd like, you know, flying came first, of course. But um, I mean, the more amazing if you didn't know which came first, the more amazing thing is to actually be able to go somewhere. Right. Like you yeah. could imagine Zoomed, you know, the internet developed first and then suddenly it was like, Oh my god, we could actually fly there, you know. Yeah. And we would think of it as um as the maybe as the more amazing thing. I don't know. We'll see. We'll we yeah. see. But someone yeah. will <laughs> someone will. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah. Uh, another hundred years people are gonna go to Mars for a vacation. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 <laughs> I
0: mean, there there are several um uh, airline companies out there trying to develop redevelop the sonic aircraft for commercial applications. I mean we might in our lifetimes we might have a 2 hour flight from New York to City London. to London. To London,
2: yeah, yeah. And then you can go there and back in a, in a day as well. Exactly. You know, you know pilots um have that experience uh a lot because some you know the plane the flights I do now are very long so we never come back the same day. But when I flew short haul flights within Europe um we would we would often go to like Athens and come back for the day or um you know helsinki and back in the day and or tripoli and you would like you know have breakfast at home go to the airport like fly to north africa <laughs> come back and then have dinner at home it was, it was crazy That's wow. so, that's, yeah. that's and that's there's a whole, mess wow. with your head yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean it, it was kind of amazing like i then i'd have to go out for dinner and for with friends in london and they'd be like where were you today and i'd be like uh istanbul and they're like what the fuck yeah <laughs> sorry am i allowed to say that oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that, that's yeah yeah that's
1: and there's the a whole set of wild. cities
2: there's a whole set of cities like that where um you know like some people have like lists of cities they've been to or lists of countries they've been to and you know like i often think like have i like i've been to moscow like i don't know 20 times but i never left the airport. So have i been there i mean i know what it yeah. looks like from above i, I know exactly right. i know better than almost anyone what it looks like from above i you know i know how how um you know it's you can see it's ring roads like lit up on the snow as you fly in or or um you know what it looks like what kind of weather it has i know all about its weather uh, and yet i've never like been there so it's it's weird it's a strange sense of um it's a strange way of thinking about what it means to go somewhere like athens as well like i know I know exactly what it looks like from the air. I know all about its weather. Um, but I've never set foot in it. So
0: it's have, so I, have I have I
2: been to Athens? I mean, I don't know. Yeah,
0: <laughs> what do you guys so, think? <laughs> I
2: I've never well, you're, I've
0: you're, got I've got family going uh this summer. They're doing a multi day trip. I'll let you know then. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> My personal rule of thumb for whether or not you've been in a city was if you had a meal there. Outside ah, of the airport. Oh, I'm outside my... the
2: airport. That's good. Yeah. I like that. That's a good one. Yeah. Role. So
1: if you had lunch in a city or you you sat down for dinner somewhere, then you can count it as you've been there.
2: Uh, oh, I'm gonna, I, might adopt, I might steal that from you if that's true. Yeah.
1: I know a coworker of mine does uh, poop. You have to poop in the city. Because if you have, enough time in the city, <laughs> you have enough time in the city to have to use the bathroom, then you
0: were there long enough
1: to say you were <laughs> <That's laughs> in That's also yeah. interesting. Yeah. Except yeah, for yeah. travel,
0: travel makes some people constipated. I'm speaking for a friend. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then
1: another one was like a beer. Have have a beer. You have to have a beer. Sit down at a bar and have a beer. But so everybody has their own definition. And because I traveled so much in the United States, um, that's that that was those are sort of
0: that was the parameter
1: for me for determining yeah. whether or not I've been there.
0: Yeah. So. Well, Go Mark, I, 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 so when we when we came across you in our emails and we started doing some research, I, I am very interested in your perspective as a pilot because I've wanted to talk to a pilot on this podcast for a while now because as a, a standard, I guess consumer of flight, we get to see stuff in the air, but you get to see it pretty much daily, and. Bob knows this. Many of our listeners know this, but my background in underground was landscape architecture and uh, geography. Oh, so, wow. excellent. So yeah. it was an interesting pair because I'm, I'm really interested in the macro level of how a city is, develops and looks and the history of that. And so your understanding of Athens and Moscow is very much from the macro level, what it looks like on a large scale. And then you get that for, uh, let's say London, you get to see the macro level, but then you get to get the micro level by actually going down and living there and experiencing it. Um, so you had mentioned how cities form around the natural landscape. And uh, I have studied that, and but I don't get to experience it like you do. So have you, I don't know if you've taken uh, steps to kind of look into the history of I think Athens specifically is super interesting because of just the natural landscape, um, the long history that it has, and how that uh, I guess transformed over the last two to three centuries or millennia.
2: Yeah, you know, I um, you know there are cities that, uh, that you get to know um, you know very well and you know on 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 foot at ground level and. I feel that hugely enhances that sense that you have from them above, which as you say, is, you know, is very macro and is, um, is both illuminating and obscuring, right? Like you can, mm-hmm. you can kind of think, you know, a place from above, um, and then, um, um, uh, you know, um, not really have, have a sense of, of, of what it's actually like to be there. Like Cape town, I think is such an interesting city. I mean, it, it you know, it's a very remote city from other major cities. It, uh, And it was founded because, you know, it was a good place to, you know, to provision your ships uh, as they move between Europe and Asia. Um, and that, you know, is a real sort of geographic, you know, it's not quite at the tip of Africa, uh, Southern tip, but it's, you know, it's pretty close to it. And, uh, you know, it has this sort of stunning natural setting. Um, and it was founded like it's there because, because of where it is, if that makes, uh, if that's not redundant, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, um, and yet of course the life of the city, uh, you know, the life of that land before it was, uh, settled by Europeans and, uh, and then the, um, the life of its sense, of course, is, has, uh, been shaped by that, those historical factors, but of course it has its own ongoing life. Um, I think of London as, um, you know, London is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it but the the old part of the city which is called the city is um used to be all of london um and um that square mile um and you know there was there was a bridge you know london bridge and uh, it was called that because it went to london it went you know it wasn't (laughs) in london it went to london uh you know across the river to that to that old original part of the city and you know someone told me once that it was the um uh you know as you went downstream of course it got Um, the river widens, um, and, you know, it's great to be near the sea, but eventually the river is so wide, you can't put a bridge across it. And so, uh, you know, London was founded basically at the last, at the lowest point where you could still build a bridge. Um, and so, you know, not every old city has that kind of geographic factor, but even, even in a pretty mild flattish part of the world, um, you know, London has, has those ties, uh, obviously, you know, even more fundamentally it's on a, it's on a river. Uh, Uh, and, you know, London has grown in so many, you know, in so many spurts at different times. Um, and, and to know, to know a little bit more about that from living there and reading about it. And then that makes the experience of flying over it even more, you know, even more interesting. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, um, and, you know, I fly over my uh, my hometown of Pittsfield, actually, sometimes, and it's, you know, it's not, you know, Pittsfield's like 40,000 people, uh, but when you cross, uh, when you fly you fly over on your way from like London to Mexico city or something. And, you know, you cross the East coast near Boston and you see that whole line of, of light along the coast, you know, you see like Boston and Providence. And then, you know, all the coasts of Connecticut, and Long Island, and then obviously New York city, you can kind of see the glow there. And then, uh, and then things darken a bit, and then you can see, you know, Hartford and Springfield along Connecticut river and I-91 and that's another bit of light. And then, you know, suddenly it looks it looks pretty dark, uh, there isn't a lot there. And then you see this like tiny bunch of lights and you're like, oh my God, that's my hometown. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's kind of amazing. It's like, you wouldn't, unless you knew what you were looking for, you wouldn't know what it was like. No one yep. looks out the window and thinks what, what's that city? Like, uh, uh, it, you wouldn't even recognize it as a city maybe. And, um, and yet for me, of course it means everything. Uh, and it's actually kind of easy to find there's in the winter because there's a ski area there, uh, which is, you know, lit at night. Um, yep. and that, that makes it, uh, makes it easy to spot. And it has some large, it had a quite, uh, vibrant industrial base, uh, in the 20th century. Um, uh, there were some really large, uh, GE factories there. Um, and a lot of those buildings are still there and they're just these from above, they're just these massive blocks of gray. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so that industrial legacy is still, um, you know, makes it visible from above, uh. So So have you, have you heard
0: kind of like when McDonald's was first starting out and they were just starting to expand and franchise that they would actually send pilots out to towns and they would basically count the number of steeples and schools from the air. Right. That's awesome. I had no idea. And basically determine that that was where their next store was going to be in that town. Wow way
1: so they would they would count the steeples and schools and then do it in some sort of proximity to
0: those
2: yeah. structures yeah. uh-huh interesting that's wild wow yeah I, I years ago I read an article that talked about kind of a, a, like a corollary to that basically where they were they were talking about like remoteness like how 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 do you measure a place's remoteness and I think like distance from McDonald's was the proxy like wow <laughs> you know because like you know if you've ever done like road trips in the American West like you can you can like end up in like stretches of nevada where there's like for an hour or so or more there's no there's no no subway there's no mcdonald's there's certainly no starbucks um and you know there must be some you know, in the continental U.S., there must be the town that's farthest from a national chain, or I don't know. or um oh, yeah, so interesting. interesting to find. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it would definitely be in Alaska. So you'd have to like, yeah, right. Have to, you'd have to think what what non-Alaskan place. Um, and I yeah. bet it, I bet it would be in Wyoming or Nevada, right? I don't know. Yeah. What do you yeah, think? Yeah. Not Maybe bad. even Montana. Maybe, Maybe. Montana. Yeah. yeah. Not in in Massachusetts. (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell you how many
1: times I've been traveling and had to cave to eating McDonald's just because I get so hungry to the point that I eventually just give in and there's just nothing else sometimes
0: um, when I'm on the road. And it's familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's always a failure in my eyes when I give in to McDonald's.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: everything everything has its you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every everything in moderation. It's not a. Uh, I I I, I uh, I'm a big fan of Dunkin' Donuts. That's my Massachusetts link ah, for you. So, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. I
0: should have known you nor'easter. Easter. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I when I go to Canada, I go to Canada for work a lot, and it's it's like Tim Hortons. Yeah, it's Tim Hortons. So it's like. Right. It's like everything's. It feels very similar, except anywhere there is, a, there would have been a Dunkin' Donuts. There's a Tim Hortons. <laughs>
0: okay, okay. So just replace them. Yeah, yeah. they're interchangeable. Exactly. Um, but this conversation on remoteness is really interesting because again, a, a geographic model is you know actual commute times, and based on how how quick a road is or how direct it is, just because it's you know a twenty minute or a twenty mile flight path as the crow flies does not mean it's 20 miles to get there on the ground, just based on the road infrastructure, arterial class highways versus local roads. And I think that same methodology can apply to whether or not it's accessible via, you know, uh, ports or airports and having that, having an analysis of like global remoteness, I feel like it's got to have been done by someone, some, some geographer that has too much time on his hands to see where the re- most remote places, is just in the continental U.S.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wonder what's the, I mean, you could almost, It was probably wouldn't be too hard to do. Like if you, if you start at like a major, like New York city, how, like what's the maximum number of flights you could take to reach? Like you can get, you can probably get anywhere with commercial service in like four flights. Right. Probably. Like, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like, like, like some town in Australia that has like one flight a day from Sydney. Yeah. You could get yeah. there in four at the most, probably, right? Right. Maybe, right. maybe not quite three. Like, somebody's think- look at something, a kayak, you look at something on kayak and they, it'll have like, you know, two connections. That's three stops. Yeah. That's three flights, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That gets you most places. Yeah. Wow.
0: Wow. It's like the six degrees of separation, three degrees yeah. of separation Exactly. For, to get somewhere.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I um, I I actually think I'm there's a world in which I would have become a geographer. I, I'm really, um, I like a lot of things when I when I see a paper, you know, a friend sends me a paper or an article and they talk to some geographer and, um, I always think it's super interesting and and one of the ways it connects with cities really well is 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 public transportation. Yeah, um, and I you know London I you know, when I think of when I picture London, I probably think first of the underground map the tube map yeah yeah Um that's probably my like default image of the city which is Uh kind of weird because it's so um that map in particular is so virtualized that it doesn't really relate very much to geography i mean if they've they've stylized it and compacted it so it works as a representation more than as a um you know an actual geographic i'll have
0: to send it to you if you haven't seen it um so there's a subreddit called data is beautiful and they actually took the london subway map and basically showed the transformation of real world geography to how the map ended up
2: oh wow i'd love and to see it's that, kind yeah.
0: of not like a time lapse but like a transmorph oh of, wow yeah 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 and they cool have all the, they have
2: all these rules on the map like lines are either straight or at 45 they're either vertical horizontal or at 45 yeah. degrees there's nothing yeah. like. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Tokyo actually, uh, which comes into the intro, you know, I write about it a little bit near the end of imagine a city, um, you know, the transport system there is just extraordinary. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at like a, if you look at like the Tokyo transit map that combines like the subway systems and the like light rail, like it's extraordinary. I mean, it looks like something from 200 years from now. Yeah. Um, and. You know they have, uh, you know, there's that line, uh, there's a circle line there called the Yamanote line, which kind of goes around the center of Tokyo. Um, and I think more, I think this is right. I may have the statistic wrong. It's in the, it's in the book. Um, more people ride that line every day than ride the entire London Underground system. What? And like the trains come like every minute, basically. Like the joke is that they, that they did they all just what they really need is just one big train. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. keep going around uh, like a carousel all, yeah uh, it's not quite yeah. like that but uh like the trains come like ever. like a train leaves when a train yeah. leaves like the next one is pulling in yeah it's crazy and they're all full at rush hour
0: uh, yeah i mean you see videos of them literally they have people just to push them in yeah. so the doors can shut yeah
2: yeah i and assume that's, that's the line the, uh, I'm not sure if it's that line or other lines, but they you know that's not the only busy line there's certainly lots of busy ones but but the um the transit system wow. there is just so it's like glorious and you kind of think um yeah you know you kind of um, they've just decided that that that's the way that's the way the city is going to grow and, and be connected whereas you know in the u s and a lot of cities we have a very different model based on you know interstates and um and main roads and park you know having you know, urban parking lots, and and um, like in, I think in um, I think in Japan in Tokyo you're not allowed to own a car unless you have off street parking. Uh, like you have wow. to have, you have to show you have, like you have to buy like a. I think that used to be the case. I'm not sure if it's still the case. Like so, you couldn't even get, you can't get a car unless you have like a parking space that's not on the street. Interesting. One um, well, and interesting. doesn't London
0: have um, a car tax now for the inner city?
2: it does it has a congestion zone um yeah. in in central london and if you drive in you have to um um yeah you have to pay a fee i don't know what is it? it's probably like i haven't paid it in years because i don't have a car um anymore i think it's like 10 or 12 pounds to drive in um yeah. and it um you know it really reduced i, I think the traffic didn't go down that much but the, the speeds went way up because you don't actually have to take many cars out of a system to like, like if you mm-hmm. have a completely gridlock system, you don't have to take out half the cars to make it flow again. You just need to take off like 20% or something. I don't know what the numbers are, but it's a very, it's a very small amount you have to remove from a congested system to like get it to flow again. Interesting. Uh, but I think also it pushed, um, you know, it pushed people onto, it It had other consequences where it, because people would then start taking other roads that avoided it. Yeah. So those roads would get busier. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like a clean win, but it was a pretty good win. Isn't New York City going to start on? Start? Yeah. I uh, think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I know. I know they definitely were targeting <clears throat> uh, like Ubers and taxis, um, increasing taxes on them, I think. And then also sort of a center city area or maybe like a lower Manhattan tax. I I, yeah. I thought I, and it would, I
0: read that. I, I, yeah. I don't know if this was. Um, theorized or actually going to be implemented, but I thought they were just going to go to mainly public service too, in yeah, some right. section of it. Um, but the you talked about the U.S. highway system, which I think there's a, a really interesting history there in and of itself. Um, the U.S. Highway Act of like 56, I think it was, purely came out of the Cold War because it was the highway act was meant to be a way f- to get people quickly out of the cities in wow. case there was a nuclear attack
2: that's amazing well wow, i didn't realize that
0: and so i don't think I, i'd be curious to see if there's other you know real papers on this or real uh theorems that the without the u.s highway act without the cold war and without the atomic bomb, would we have the same highway system we have now, or would we have developed more closely to like European cities with some more public
2: transportation? Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I had no idea. I'd love to read more, more about that. Yeah. And uh, then, I, lived, I, I lived in Boston for a couple of years where they, you know, they had the big dig. Have you heard of guys? Yeah. Remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Basically to replace, um, so they, they, they built that highway through the center of the city um and um the opposition was i mean you know but they destroyed the entire entire neighborhoods were just wiped oh, yeah. off the map to build that and then they had that huge project to um you know to undo that basically and bury the highway and when i was like you know i, I like boston i i when i was growing up in pittsfield it was kind of like our reference big city you know it was like yep. you know two and a half hours away i mean new york was obviously bigger but boston was our state capital and stuff and i remember um you know after I moved there, i was thinking like, how do they build? Cause I had to like walk under the highway to get to work. And I was under the elevated one, which they were, and it was, you know, it's like disgusting. There was all all this stuff dripping off of it. It was like, it was, you couldn't believe they built it. Why did they build this? And then I watched some program about it and it showed like how it was presented to the city in the, I guess, late fifties. And they had this model um, where they showed like uh it i mean it looked like the jetsons like they showed the highway like curving through the city and all the cars as like little lights moving over yeah. and you're like oh my god it's the future of course we should build that it's
0: you it know looks it, awesome yeah it looks
2: awesome like we'll be like the most futuristic city ever <laughs> And yeah. then, you know and then you know 40 years later you're like walking under this like Rusting, dripping hull. Oh, it's awful. There. Yeah, yeah. And you're kind of like, oh, this is the, this isn't how they envisioned this.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's really interesting because you can see that like once the U.S. implemented all these highways, other countries, up, diplomats and other you know engineers saw the highway system and they thought it was really impressive and efficient to move cars and people, um, and so certain cities started to implement that. I mean, Seoul is one of the good ones or one example where they actually put this massive highway system directly over a stream that ran through the city because it was the only open area left.
2: Tokyo and, did that as well. I think a bunch of cities did that in East Asia. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And uh, I think it was Seoul. It may have been may have been uh, the Chong Yechen stream that they ended up, uh, over the course of like four or five years, taking that entire highway system out and restoring the stream
2: yeah i've been there i've been i've walked along it it's amazing they've left they've left bits just tiny bits there to remind you the of the like industrial world that was there and
0: that's not the only city that has done that there have been several others that have taken that have put in highway systems through the cities and then like boston taken them out or made them hidden
2: (laughs) yeah yeah you know when i when i first moved to london like i didn't i couldn't believe like there's no like expressway that goes across or under london like all they all end they all just turn into streets as they get close um and um which is kind of amazing for a city of you know 10 million people um but they did there were these like tiny bits of it that they like there were plans to basically build those highways over over and like when you go uh, if you go out to Heathrow um, on one of the roads, you might take out. I think it's called the A40. Um, there is a little bit of elevated highway, um, okay. which is which is called the Westway, and you kind of think, oh, this looks. This, it feels like a kind of American, and then you're like, oh, this was. They almost, you know, they 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 started this, and they they got close to the city, and then um, and then they stopped. There was so much opposition to it, I guess.
0: Uh-huh. If if you really want some interesting history on the New York City highway system, um, there's a whole, I guess, history to Robert Moses, who is kind of like the architect
2: yeah, yeah. of
0: the highway system um, and tore down complete neighborhoods
2: to put these in. And he was going to build, um, wasn't he going to build an expressway across lower Manhattan like and like basically yeah. wipe wipe Greenwich Village off the, yep. yeah, it's amazing. it's amazing. It is. There was a play. Stuff. There was a play about him recently called um Straight Line Crazy. I think that was the name of the play. Oh. I'll have to um, look into that. Yeah. Um and it was about um yeah. Um it was about basically his kind of passion for I think the name refers to the idea that he was, you know, in love with straight lines and tried to put them onto a world that that didn't necessarily um want them. <laughs> he he would have been better suited in Kansas yeah yeah well the you know the interest states are kind of amazing like you know uh you know i live i grew up kind of basically on i-90 you know mm-hmm. which is um which goes across massachusetts and goes across the rest of the country um and in massachusetts there's a sign on the um did you guys see goodwill hunting remember that movie yeah yeah, like yeah. At, the, at, the, at the end of it they're driving up he's they're like he's driving, driving out of town he goes up this green road um you know this like forested this highway with like forest on either side going up a hill And i saw that in england and i was like oh my god that's the turnpike uh and uh and and it was and there's a there's a point where uh as you're going over the the berkshire plateau between like the pioneer valley and the berkshires um you hit the highest elevation of the of the turnpike and there's a sign saying you know elevation 1800 feet or 1724 i think it is and it says this effectively this elevation won't be exceeded until you're in south dakota um, which is like another, like 1500 miles or whatever. Uh, um, and then, you know, that's and cool. then you like, yeah. And then like, I go to Seattle for work too. And, you know, we'll drive in from the from SeaTac into Seattle and like suddenly you see a sign for 90 and you're like, Oh my God, that's like the same road. Like it just goes, it just goes all the way across. <laughs> yep. That's yeah. Really
0: interesting. Yeah. The, the inner, the highway system is fascinating. Um, I don't think a lot of people realize that the the odd numbers go north to south and the even numbers go east to west.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then there's all the three three digit ones, which mean like refer to whether it like returns the road it started on or something, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, something crazy like, like, like the, that. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, like Route One is on the West Coast, and then 90 or 81 is on the east coast. And so there are six other or seven others between them.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's wild. Mm. It's wild.
1: Yeah. I didn't know that.
0: Um today smart so you
1: you. in, in, in your own words, uh what what do you look for in a city to determine whether or not you find it enjoyable? Um, you know, there we've talked about it on the podcast so many times, architecture, people, uh, food. There's so many different things to enjoy when you're traveling. What about you?
2: Um, that's a that's a that's a tough question. Um, you know, one of um you know, I, I think actually the simplest answer is is whether I have a friend there or a family member there. Um, and so some of the cities I go to uh, for work, like that would almost be like the cleanest, like dis- distinction between um, kinds of cities I go to. Like some cities I go to, I know someone there that I'm gonna have dinner with. Like in Sydney, I have a pen pal um, that I used to write to when I was a kid. Um, uh-huh. And when I go to Sydney, we have dinner, uh, which we never thought we would do. The whole point of a pen pal was you'd never meet them, right? And, yeah, right. You know, and now like in like middle age, we like, have dinner every year or something which is kind of awesome and you know most of my friends from pittsfield have left and gone off to other places you know one's in baltimore one's in washington a couple on the west coast um so when i can go see people and see the city through the through their eyes but also through the eyes of our common like our shared past um that's kind of the main that's that's kind of um yeah that's the biggest distinction in a city, um, for a friend of mine, um, from high school, uh, ended up working in the state department and was put in, um, was stationed in Islamabad for a while. And then in Singapore for a while. And like, we would just have these dinners in Islamabad or Singapore and just be like, how did, you know, we would like laugh about like our elementary school in Pittsburgh, Be like how the, you know, how the, whatever did we end up here? Yeah. Um, but more, you know, so that's, I think that's a great, you know, not everyone has friends who've moved to Islamabad of course but I actually don't think that's a bad way to pick the places you go because it will be those places will be so enriched like even a you'll have a nice time seeing someone that you want to see but uh your experience of that place will be so different f- from someone who lives there yeah. um that you'll probably get so much more out of it um but in terms of you know what I tend to do in a city like so um you know if you know in imagine a city the new book like I talk so much about going to like some there's so many references to coffee so like I'm a you know I do like I do like um cafe so my standard thing to do is I'll like look online to find a cafe that looks like a place I'd enjoy sitting for an hour or two um and then I try to walk there so I you know I try to walk basically you know most of the time in cities um and so uh having a destination where you know you're going to have like a latte and a and a bagel or whatever is is a You're pretty, speaking my language is a, is a pretty good motivation um I also you know most cities have some sort of observation deck um and you know some building you can go up and those aren't necessarily new buildings you know some some cities have a cathedral with a where you can go up to the tower uh Istanbul has a very old tower uh, that you can climb up um and that ability to get a view of an aerial view of a city you know not from thirty thousand feet but from like you know, 200 feet Mm -hmm. um, or or 1000 feet, if it's a skyscraper, um, is a really good way to orient yourself Um, and the other, the other, um, you know, we're talking about the the sort of geographic determinism um, of cities, you know, so many cities are on water, Um, they're either on rivers or they're on you know, they're where a river meets the ocean, or they're on like a natural, you know, a great natural harbor like Hong Kong, and and those cities tend to a they have tend to have tourist boats, and b they tend to have ferries, and I think ferries, um, you know, I, I I'll take a tourist boat now and then, even in London sometimes when we have visitors, will like take them on like a tourist cruise down the Thames, but the but like the the ferries that are used by ordinary commuters are such an interesting way to see a city and to you know, to see, um, to see rush hour and, sit, you know, and, you know, so if you're like in Sydney or, or Hong Kong or, um, New York, even, um, you know, ferries are, are a part of daily life and, um, they allow you to, to see a city or neighbor, a part of a city from a certain distance and then kind of close that distance. And, uh, if you, if you're there at rush hour, um, uh, you get a sense of, um, you know what it, what it's like to commute in that city um and um you know who doesn't want to who doesn't want to be on the water for a little while it's always a nice uh yeah. a nice love, half an hour
1: i love waterfronts i'm always disappointed when a city doesn't develop their waterfront for commercial use and it's like an industrial center and they just didn't invest they're just missing out on so much oh uh, absolutely yeah yeah people I, to that area
2: Yeah. When I lived in Boston, uh, I, uh, my office, my, the office I had there in that, that company was right on the waterfront. I don't know if you know Boston very well, but um, it's right across from Logan Airport, um, uh, which is on the other side of the Harbor. And for a while, Logan Airport, this is like 20 years ago, uh, they were advertising like a water taxi service. So when you landed at Logan, you, if you were going to one of the Harbor, one of the waterfront, like office buildings, um, you could get a they, you know, water taxi from the airport to whichever wharf you wanted to go to. And I remember once getting back from a business trip and I was going straight into work and I thought, oh, well, I'll just take the water taxi. Like it's on the transport map. Like it'll be like, you know, they put it on the map. as like a blue line. Like I'll just take the water taxi. And it was like, it was like, it wasn't a rowboat, but it was like, um do you remember the sea captain in the simpsons the guy who had like the pipe? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah 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 <laughs> like it was basically like that guy's boat huh. um that's it great. was it was highly informal um and uh but he did take me where i needed to go and we we all survived so it was a uh, they probably upgraded it now i don't know yeah that's great that's fantastic uh,
1: and mark so so sort of staying in line with it one thing that i was very excited to ask you because you travel for work uh as do i I wanted to sort of hear how you do it, um, because I know if, if efficiency is pretty important to you when you have a limited amount of time to see a city before you need to get on the plane and fly home. Um, and for you, in your case, you're actually flying at home. For me, I'm just jumping on and going home. <laughs> um, but what's, what's your process and what do you prioritize when you when you enter a new city? And how do you make sure that you hit the things that you want to see?
2: If there's a viewpoint, if there's a hill to climb up or or a tower to, to go up, um, something that will give you a view, like if you're in Montreal, you know, it's named for a mountain, go up the mountain, right, <laughs> and take a look down. Um, if you're in, you know, New York City, go to, a, you know, Rockefeller Center's observation deck or the Empire State Buildings or, you know, and start with that view. That's really important to me. Um and it's kind of ironic because I've just flown in there. Like, I know what it looks like from the budget. That's, I was, I, <laughs> but, yeah, <right. laughs> but nevertheless, like, I, I yeah. want to be able to take it in without worrying about, you know, you know, that having to think about work. Um, But, you know, the other the other and I don't really know if this is a lesson because it, it might really only apply to people who go to places as crew or maybe it applies to business travelers who go again and again. But when we go to a city, um, you know, we know we're not we know we're going to be there again. um and we know like i don't have to go down the like the top 10 sites on tripadvisor um over three days because i know i'll be back there again and again and again and that actually makes me a more relaxed traveler in some ways like the first time i went to beijing uh, some of my colleagues were going up to see the great wall you know i'd never been to beijing never been to china um and i thought oh my god i should go to the great wall but actually i knew that the next month i would be coming back to beijing I like I, when I was there, I already knew I was coming back, which is a really unusual experience as a traveler. Like, if you, you know, if you go to Istanbul on a trip of a lifetime, you don't, or Athens, or, you know, you don't expect you're going to be back there a month later. Um, and if you did know that, you might, you might worry less about like checking the boxes and you might relax more and just walk, you mm-hmm. know? So I feel like, um, you know, that I can. You know, just walk and walk and walk into like a tire I can like pick us pick a subway stop on a on the map of Delhi or Tokyo and just say, I'm going to go there and see what's there. Um, and, you know, um, and I don't have to worry about missing something on my one trip to that city. Um, and that sounds nice. It's nice. But I, you know, I'm not sure I'm not sure if it's great advice for for travelers who don't work, you know, who aren't there as aircrew, but maybe it's a way to think about like one day while you're there or two two days if you're there for a week maybe one day or two of the days, you don't try to do anything. You don't try to do like a thing or like five things. You just, you you, you know, you'd be a little, you can, it's a chance to be a little more relaxed, a little more spontaneous, Uh, you know, like, you know, just walk into a, you know, a neighborhood around lunchtime and wherever you see a line for for lunch, just like get in line, like, you know, and um, rather than like, oh, I saw this restaurant on this website or, or I have to go see this museum or, you know, you maybe, maybe there's a way to to balance those out, like a few days, like you make sure you don't miss any of the things that drew you to the city in the first place, but you also yeah. leave time just to, just to wander. A bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, we've talked about that before, actually leaving time to be spontaneous and it is yeah. important to sort of let it flow as it does while you're there. Yeah.
2: yeah. And of course, as a pilot, you know, sometimes we we think we're going to go back to a place again and again. And then they, they like changed the the route to a different aircraft. And then like, I'm like, oh, like I, maybe I'll never go there again. You know, like, like, uh, I used to, when I used to fly the 747, we used to, it used to go to, to, um, to Narita and we had another plane, triple sevens flying to Haneda, which is the other airport in Tokyo. And then at some point we stopped flying those planes to Narita. And I was like, oh, like, am I ever gonna, maybe I won't go to Japan ever again. Like maybe. Maybe I'll never go back. Um and I, I do go back now. Um these every it all it all changed again. Yeah, right. But um but they do they can cities can arrive on your map um and then leave it pretty suddenly. So um maybe I should take my own advice and make sure I hit those bucket list items as well while I'm there. <laughs> At least a few of them. Yeah. Few of them yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Um Ella, do you have Do you have anything
1: else?
0: No, I I mean yeah. there there's a lot that we could talk about, but I know we're
2: I just have a, I have, I have a yeah. question for you guys what, what's next yeah. on each of your lists in terms of destinations or kinds of travel or um, yeah i'll go
0: first um because i don't have any <laughs> <laughs> i i have a five-month-old and so i should say we are I, we're going to we're going to pittsburgh and that's very <laughs> exciting and then um going to be going to kentucky at the end of the year but those are the only two officially planned trips uh, I'd like to get a international trip scheduled here soon,
2: well, we don't have kids, but I know from friends who have kids that actually you actually have a pretty good window now when the you know when they're when they're not gonna like run off into traffic, Yes. um, like this is actually your last window for a while, so yeah, so, right? uh, <laughs> yeah, so um. Yeah, so I hope you make the best. I love Pittsburgh. Um, I uh, there's a short section on it in, in Imagine a City, and um, it's a, it's a great place.
1: Um, I have a trip uh, in June, starting in Oslo and ending in Stavanger, Norway. Oh wow! So we're wow. gonna drive
2: through there. Uh, bring your then... bring your eye shades for sleeping.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're yeah <laughs> I know. I, I think sunsets <laughs> at like 10 p.m.
2: Yeah, or um, Yeah, or even later. Yeah.
1: And then September, uh, I'm going to Scotland, flying into In Inverness, I believe is the name of the city. Oh That's yeah, how you pronounce yeah. it. Uh, yeah. Spending time in uh, Edinburgh, and uh,
2: yeah. Oh, excellent, excellent. Yeah. Well, so, well, let me let me know. Norway how and how Scotland. It goes. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Really exciting stuff. But so I, I have a one year old and a four year old. So my kid finally once once he made it over the the one year hump, we're like, okay, now you're ready for a a. a to cross the Atlantic on an airplane. So, Oh, excellent. Excellent. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, I have a question about being a passenger on an airplane. Sure. Yeah. What happens if I don't turn my phone
2: on airplane mode?
1: Do, do, do all of your, your little throngs go crazy (laughs) and the the red blinking signs and, uh, No,
2: no, um, you know, it's, it's an abundance of precaution. Uh, so it's uh yeah so it's uh one of the many um many one of the many rules that uh um you know uh, ensure uh you know we're always airing on the side of caution uh, yeah. my you know we use ipads for work all the time in the cockpit but they are in airplane mode um from <laughs> the moment we Good. leave the gate until we land and uh and the, you know that's you know the aviation is full of rules and uh you know we um you know we're involved in making some of them and others get get kind of handed down by people who thought about it a lot so uh um yeah just uh all the rules and uh and uh yeah and actually i have to say as a um when i was a business traveler i loved i loved being disconnected for yeah for half an hour or an hour or eight hours or whatever it was yeah Uh, i actually i have friends who are still in the business world and they they are kind of a little annoyed um at the possibility that they can now log on on the plane because they I feel know. like that was the time where they could do some like blue sky thinking not to make a bad pun um, um but um you know they could and they could like if they had like 200 emails they could like answer them all like clean their inbox and then when they land it was like send and like you know they had like caught up they was like they'd like wiped their they're slate clean mm-hmm. While they were aloft and nobody could reach them and now yeah. of course the expectation of course you know is that you can be reached if uh, you can if you can log on on you know on flight so yeah i don't like it i'm a book i don't reader. like it either and, yeah. and it's like as that's, soon as that's i my time to sit read.
1: when i sit on the plane i put my phone on airplane mode put it in the pouch in front of me and i take the book out and i know i'm going to get however long i'm on that plane of uninterrupted reading which doesn't happen in my day-to-day life so it is nice yeah Mark, you ready for the rapid fire round? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So yeah, we didn't tell you about this. Um, five questions. Sure. Answer relatively quickly. You you will give you time to think about it. Um and uh and yeah, it's always fun to do. Elliot, do you
2: want to go first?
0: I'll go first. So, Mark, uh, what is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel?
2: Uh seven forty seven. So I got a number instead of a word. There you uh, go. Right.
1: Uh, which travel book has had the biggest influence on your life?
2: Gosh, um, you know, I'm going to say *Moby Dick* actually by Herman Melville. It's not travel is not is kind of incidental to its you know bigger purpose, uh, um, but it is nevertheless about an extraordinary journey, and it was written um, about a mile from where I grew up. So yeah, uh, sure. um, it influenced uh, both my kind of writing life as well as my um, my uh, way of thinking about the wider world. So.
0: What is one practical thing travelers can do right now to enhance their next travel experience
2: um so uh i am often eating meals like quickly or spontaneously like in a hotel room or um and uh i have a spork i have a i have a i have have a plastic spork and i cannot you know you don't need it every day but sometimes you're like you know you got something take away and suddenly you get back to your hotel or whatever and you realize you've no utensils or out whatever so um, a spork uh, yeah a spork comes in handy and those the yellow cylindrical classic those are the best earplugs i've ever have found so i recommend okay. getting a box of those and yeah you know, i got lots I, of those I, at work
1: yeah i keep those with me when i travel for the hotel specifically and uh and i've also eaten salad with my hand out of a container in a hotel room because I didn't have <laughs> utensils. Have a spork, yeah, yeah. I didn't have my spork, and so I just yeah. had to hand feed salad to myself. So, yeah. <laughs> never again, no, no, no. Uh, I need to get my travel spork. Um, tell us one thing travelers should not do.
2: Oh, um, oh gosh, I can't. Um, one thing they shouldn't do. Um, they shouldn't miss the chance to uh just have a spontaneous walks, walk one day. How's that?
1: Like it, like it yeah. a lot. I like
0: it yeah. too. And then the last question is what is one piece of advice you'd give to yourself 10 years ago?
2: Oh gosh, um, uh, uh buy some face masks. <laughs> 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 Get to get some uh yeah, get some N ninety-fives and just <laughs> put them in the put them in the closet just in case. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah.
1: Keep them, yeah, keep them on standby. Awesome. Um, Mark, thank you for your time today. Before we let you go, uh just run through the titles of your books and where people can buy them and your social medias, anything else that you would like to share.
2: Sure. Um so my first book was called Skyfaring, uh, like seafaring but with sky. Um and my second book was a a kind of lighter one uh, stocking stuffer called how, how to land a plane, which will, which will not teach you how to land a plane, but will tell you some of the things that you, you know, you might learn. Um, and, uh, the most recent book is called imagine a city, um, and they're available at your local, uh, independent bookshop or on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all all the usual places. Um, on Twitter, I am mark V seven, four, seven, uh, as in the airplane, uh, unsurprisingly and uh, i'm on instagram as well um and my website is markvinhonecker.com and i get a lot of emails from uh people sharing photos of their uh you know that they're taken from the window seat um and i always love to um i love to see those i have a gallery of them which i can um, post your photo to with your permission and uh yeah i'm always i'm always happy to hear from from armchair travelers or uh or fellow travelers
1: awesome
0: Martin, excellent. thanks again Time Thanks today.
1: a lot. Going and staying in line with the conversation that we just had, part of the reason that I like planning my trips so much and spending so much time understanding the city that I'm going to do to going to visit is because I get a lot of time on Google Earth and looking at maps. And by the time I actually get the destination, I have a pretty good lay of the land and understanding of where things are and what direction I'm I'm moving in and where I am in in the bigger you know scale macro scale of the city. And I find that really fun. And so I think there you go. There's another reason why people should spend the time to plan their own trips and learn their city.
0: I agree, but that doesn't help us, does it? If we offer to help plan their trips.
1: Well, we offer to help plan their trips, or if you want to plan it on your own, we offer a travel journal and we have the video tutorials to help people do that. So
0: I, I think both of our jobs are, lend us to be able to like, scroll through Google earth and look at stuff. Cause I know every time I start a new project, I end up looking at the aerial imagery for that site. And then I spend another 15 minutes looking at the area around it. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that was there.
1: Yeah. You really don't start to understand how these cities were developed. Do we yeah. get enough?
0: Yeah. Uh, but I am very envious of Mark. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever get that opportunity. And I did, I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast, but last summer I actually had a chance to fly a plane Uh, like actually fly it, do assist in the takeoff and assist in the landing, and then actually pilot it by myself for 15, 20 minutes in the air, uh, near KOP. And it was, it was very interesting. Um, now that was my first time ever doing it. So I was more focused on the flying than the looking around at stuff, but it's still even like a little Cessna single prop engine. Uh, you're flying pretty low. So you get a different view even at that level. Yeah. Pretty cool. It is very cool. Well, thank you for
1: listening to the Traveler's Blueprint Podcast. We truly do appreciate every single one of you that listens to our show. Uh, If you would like to support us in a non-financial way, it can be as simple as just liking our posts on Instagram uh, or sharing our podcast with your friends and family. You could also support us in a financial way by clicking the link in the show notes or uh, through our Instagram and buying us a coffee that we would greatly appreciate. But regardless of what you do, we're happy that you're listening and stay safe, stay healthy and tune in next week you